please open with me uh, now to the book of Galatians. Uh, we have been on Lord's Day mornings together over a number of months studying uh, the book of Galatians uh, together. We come now to the beginning of chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5. Our text will be verses uh, 1 through 6, Galatians chapter 5, uh, and verses 1 through 6. Uh, let's now hear uh, this, the living word of the living God. Uh, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This ends this reading in God's Word. Let's now seek the Lord's face again in prayer. Uh, o Lord, our God, we uh, do thank you that our honor is secure with you and that you are our Savior. You are our refuge and our rock of strength. We thank you, O Lord, for the way that that truth is brought out, even in the passage that we have just read uh, together, O Lord, that it is through a firm reliance and trust in you that we experience salvation. And Lord, we do pray that we would be those who are marked by faith in Jesus Christ. And O Lord, our God, use your word as it is proclaimed today to grant that we would not trust in ourselves, but trust in you who justify the ungodly. O Lord, our God, do this, we pray, in Jesus' name, uh, amen. Well, what is it that really counts in the Christian life? What are the matters of chief importance? In many ways, this book of Galatians has been concerned with that very thing as it is sought to defend uh, the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ against those who would attack it. Uh, to the church at Galatia, some false teachers came, Judaizers is what we call them, uh, who said that this gospel of faith alone in Jesus Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, that that gospel is not good enough, but to it needs to be added certain Jewish customs, in particular the practice of circumcision and the keeping of the Jewish law. But Paul, as we have seen in this uh, whole passage, does not take this threat lightly, just the opposite. He has said that what is being proclaimed is another gospel, which is no gospel at all. 
And the whole of the book of Galatians is really set upon defending the true gospel, that we would not only believe these things in our minds, but it would enter into the very warp and woof of our experience. The first two chapters of Galatians, uh, he defended the true gospel uh, kind of autobiographically, speaking of his own calling as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapters 3 and 4, he opened for us a number of passages out of the Old Testament and defended the true gospel theologically in those chapters. But now as we move into chapters 5 and 6, we're going to see Paul shifting yet again and defending this true gospel, but defending it from our practical experience. And in particular, seeing how believing the truth of the gospel impacts our Christian ethics and our Christian life. Well, the passage before us today is something of a kind of transition passage. Uh, You'll recall from last week at the end of chapter 4, as he spoke there, how The true gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of freedom and not of slavery. That Christ has set us free. And now here in Galatians 5, he is encouraging us to live in light of that freedom. So here we do see what it is that really counts in the Christian life. Well, we're going to look at our passage today under Uh, Three different headings. First of all, out of verse 1, we're going to see a warning to keep relying on God's grace alone and not on works. A warning to keep relying on God's grace alone and not on works. But then in verses 2 through 4, Paul is going to open up uh, the reason for this. He's going to essentially answer the question, why is it so fatal to rely on works? That's verses 2 through 4. Why is it so fatal to rely on works? And then lastly, in verses 5 and 6, there we are going to see uh, what really counts the life of faith. So those three points, a warning, first of all, to keep relying on God's grace alone and not on works. Secondly, what is so fatal about relying on works? And then lastly, in verses 5 and 6, What really counts the life of faith? Well, those three points. First of all, let's consider a warning that Paul delivers, uh, not just to his first century hearers, but to us as well, a warning to keep relying on God's grace alone and not on works. Now, we read in verse 1 here that it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Uh, We spoke about this uh, at great length last week (coughs) when we saw that we are, by nature, slaves. Slaves to sin. That we are under the oppressive guilt of our sin. That we are held captive under the power of sin. And the good news of the gospel is that Christ has come to deliver us from that which once enslaved us. So to be a Christian is to be truly free. And to be free to live as God has intended us to live conformed to the Lord Jesus Christ, living for His glory in His world. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But now He is going to give us a warning. And He tells us that in now, in the course of your Christian life, be sure, dear Christian, to continually, day by day, moment by moment, to stand 
in that freedom which Christ has given you. Persevere, endure, and do so not by turning back again to that which once enslaved you, but living in light of the gospel. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that we don't simply believe that first moment when we become a Christian, as if becoming a Christian is about receiving the forgiveness of Christ, but then the rest is up to us how we live, that it's all a matter of just what we do, But rather, to be a Christian means every day, every moment, living in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that truth, that I belong to Jesus, that he forgives me of my sins, that I'm clothed in his righteousness, that I have the Holy Spirit indwelling me, that that is the day-in, day-out, moment-by-moment reality of the Christian. Live in that freedom. Do you see, as it were, to turn back again to a life under the law. It would be like the Israelites after escaping from Egypt and through the Red Sea saying, that's it, let's reverse course and go back into bondage in Egypt. It would be like a prisoner having uh, been set free by the judge from the shackles of his prison and finally into the world saying, you know what, I'm going to turn back and walk right back into that prison. No, dear friends, to be set free by the gospel means we ought to live in the midst of that freedom. What an important word this is, because there are temptations to the contrary. That's what the Galatian church was experiencing, was a temptation to turn back into a kind of yoke of slavery. For them, the temptation was that of circumcision. We know that God... uh, um, originally gave circumcision to Abraham as a sign and seal of that righteousness that comes by faith. It had a good purpose in the Old Testament. But the Jews had turned circumcision into a kind of rite, which then signaled obedience to every aspect of the Jewish law. And so their mantra in the New Testament could be that which is found in Acts 15 and verse 1, that unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So the Judaizers were coming in and they were saying, well, for a real religious experience, you need to add the practice of circumcision and add uh, the keeping of the Jewish law in a legalistic way in order to gain acceptance with God that needs to be added to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear friends, you and I, we may or may not be tempted by uh, circumcision and the desire to return back to the Jewish law, but we also can be tempted by a variety of things that cause us to begin to measure our lives according by what we do rather than what God has done for us. Sometimes after you've been a Christian for a little while, uh, you Uh, may begin to view yourself as, well, better than the world around you. Uh, You look rightly with grief at a world around us that is caught in sin and in rebellion against God, but then you can begin to think in your own heart that you're really better than all of them, that sin is a problem that is out there rather than a problem with our own heart. And when that kind of pride can come in, dear friends, that once again is a kind of a 
being brought back, or that principle of works being brought back in to the Christian life. Or it can be brought in in a different way. That is when Christianity for us, instead of first of all being about Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for us, can begin to simply be a code of conduct or a certain lifestyle or a system of morality or values. And when Christianity is reduced to that, well, dear friends, that once again is a kind of yoke of slavery. It can happen when Christian duties simply become a checklist of things that we're uh, marking off. And by that checklist, we measure our standing uh, with God. It can come into our lives when uh, we begin to think of the real value of our lives in terms either of the academic success that we have in school or our athletic ability, or our popularity with others, or our success in the workplace. And when we begin to view our lives primarily as that of attaining these standards, that's what's really important. That's what makes me feel good. Dear friends, that is being brought once again into a kind of yoke of, of slavery. Similarly, on the flip side, to live with a kind of terrible sense of guilt all the time over the things which we have not achieved and the ways that we have not measured up and the way that our life has not turned out the way that we thought it would. That also, dear friends, is a measuring of our lives primarily in terms of what we have done. And what we ought to do is to bring our guilt to the Lord and experience the freedom of forgiveness in Christ. You see dear friends, that there are a variety of ways in which we, like these Galatian Christians, can once again be brought under a yoke of slavery. And what we need to do is to stand firm daily, moment by moment, in the light of the gospel of Christ. And so this leads us now onto our second point today. Why is it so fatal to rely on works? Why is it so fatal to rely on works. And we see this in verses uh, 2 through 4. And in these verses, Paul is really establishing that there are two basic ways in religion. It is either we live by faith or we live according to our works. And there is no mixture of the two. It's exclusively one or the other. And to live by works itself is... Fatal, And he gives really three reasons why in these verses. First of all, in verse 2, he says this, that reliance on your works denigrates the saving work of Christ. Reliance on your works denigrates the saving work of Christ. Verse 2, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. That is, he is saying that if any part of your acceptance with God is based on your own works, on your own merit, then you are saying, well then in that area of life, Christ did not need to die for me. I could have made it on my own. I don't need Jesus. That's what you are essentially saying. 
If you count any part of your uh, own works for your acceptance before God. You know, there's a wonderful hymn, a glorious gospel hymn that says, none but Jesus, none but Jesus, none but Jesus can do helpless sinners good. But do you know, if you are relying on your own works, you would have to rewrite that hymn. You would have to, you, you could say, you would be saying, essentially, I, not Jesus, I, not Jesus, I, not Jesus, can do a weakened sinner like myself some good. Do you see, dear friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us that Christ has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. That Christ came into this world not simply to make pretty good people better, not to make, as it were, sick sinners well, but rather he, is, he has come in order to save rebels against God and to revive those who are dead in their sin and transgression. Christ doesn't come simply to help us who have made it so far on our own get a little bit further. He's not like a, a tutor who's helping somebody who's already getting pretty good grades to get a little better grades. That's not why Christ came. But Christ came in order to rescue those who were without hope in themselves, dead in sin and transgression, under the wrath of God. And what He did when He came to Calvary's cross was He bore the wrath that we deserved in full. And friends, if at any point you say, well, I can make it on my own, my own works bring me acceptance with God, you are saying Christ died in vain. I didn't need Him. What a terrible thing that is. So reliance on your works denigrates the saving work of Christ. But secondly, verse 3, reliance on your works leaves you under the condemnation of the whole law. We see this in verse 3. I testify again to every man who accepts, accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Now again, you remember that Paul in this context is speaking to those who were receiving circumcision because they thought it was a way in which they would be made right with God, that it contributed to their salvation. We know that in, a, in situations, uh, Paul himself was willing to have uh, 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 either to have or to not have somebody circumcised uh, in keeping with just kind of Jewish custom. But when it became a matter of salvation, Paul says, if you believe that circumcision is necessary for your salvation, that this is a work which you accomplish, then you are under the whole law to keep it. Well, what a dangerous place that is to be. You know, we sometimes think, I think, of the, of the law essentially as that which is kind of graded on a curve. Uh, you know, we say, yeah, sure, nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm really doing pretty good. I think I'm better than the next guy. You know how it was maybe when you were in school, and those of you that are in school maybe still do this, take standardized tests. 
right? People all over the nation. And then they, they give you your score on that standardized test. And maybe you come back and you're the, the 60th percentile in some subject. It's not bad. It means better than six out of 10 people out there. It's okay. Or maybe the 80th percentile. Well, then you're doing really well. You're, you're better than eight out of 10 people who have taken that text, test. And it kind of makes you feel pretty good about yourself. Well, dear friends, sometimes we think of the law in that way. That it's graded on a curve. And that in life, I'm really not doing all of that bad. Well, dear friends, Paul is making the point in verse 3, and it's the point that he makes elsewhere, that when it comes to the law of God, we are not being measured against the next guy or the next girl. But rather, we are being measured according to the standard of God's perfect holiness. And in light of that, we all fall short. And so, in order to break the law, even at a single point, the Bible says, is to be guilty of all. Is that not James's point in James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11? James chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Uh, Turn there real quickly. Uh, And there, James says this, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Was this not Paul's own experience? He thought he was doing pretty well. He says in Philippians 3, I was uh, blameless in my keeping of the law back in my pre-Christian days. But then he came to see, this is Romans chapter 7, that when that law said, do not covet, that that was a command that, that cut to his very heart. And he realized that when his own heart was measured against the, the, the standard of God's law, that he fell short in every way. Is that not the case with us, dear friends? If we rely on on our own works, if that's the focus of our lives, what we attain, you fall short and you are under the condemnation of the whole law of God. And friends, that is a burden that you cannot bear and that I cannot bear. But the third reason then that relying on our own works is so fatal is that reliance on your own works means that you will not obtain the grace of God. That's what verse 4 teaches us there. He says to them who are relying on their circumcision, you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. You are seeking to be justified by the law. It means that you are not seeking justification by Christ's work. And if you are not seeking it that way, then you are yourself severed from Christ and fall short of the grace of God. Now notice in this passage here, he's not talking about here the issue of eternal security or the perseverance of the saints. Okay, The Bible teaches elsewhere that those who truly do belong to Christ, who are saved by Christ's precious blood, will be preserved to the end. Romans 8, none shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 1, 6, 
He who began this good work in us will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's not saying to these people, well, you once were truly saved and now you are not saved. But rather he is making this point to those who were visibly part of the church of God. He is saying that if you are relying on your own works, then you are not saved at all. You have no part in Jesus Christ. You do not receive the grace of God. And so here Paul, as it were, draws a line in the sand. He makes it clear that salvation is not and cannot be Christ plus what we have done at all, but rather to be justified by Him, accepted with Almighty God. It is through the work of Jesus Christ alone that is received by faith alone. And this comes from the grace of God alone. That is the gospel of salvation. You are severed from Christ if you would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So can I just ask you to examine your own heart today? Are you one who is seeking, like these Galatians, to rely on the law? Perhaps you are tempted that way, that having, as it were, begun with Christ, turned to Him initially. Now it's been about what you are accomplishing, what you are doing or not doing. Oh, dear friends, might it be that you would always look to Christ. It is in Christ alone that our salvation is found. So that's, the, that's why it is so fatal to rely on our works. It denigrates the work of Christ. It leaves us condemned under the whole law. And it means that we do not obtain the grace of God. But now, thirdly and finally then, I want us to ask the question, well, what is it that really counts? Okay, if he has closed the door, as it were, to this reliance on works, what what does the Christian life look like? What is it that really counts? And here we see something about the life of faith in verses 5 and 6. You'll notice that when he says that uh, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Okay, whether a person is circumcised or not, as one who had been a Jew or one who is a Gentile, none of that matters. That is not what is relied upon for standing with God. That is not what is necessary. Rather, the question is, are you in Christ Jesus? And so here I also want us to see three points under this final heading. And the first point is this. It is that the blessings of salvation are secured by faith alone. That's what these two verses make abundantly clear. The blessings of salvation are secured by faith alone. He says, for through the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, who creates faith in us, through the Spirit, by faith, we eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. And then verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. But what does count? Only faith working through love. Faith. Faith. That is the vital word. And why is it that faith is so vital when it comes to the Christian life? It is because of what faith is. 
Faith is that which looks outside of itself to another. Faith is that which comes with an empty hand to receive a whole Christ. Faith says, I bring nothing. Christ is everything. Faith looks away from ourselves and looks to Him and to His finished work. Faith rests in His love for me, not in my love for Him or in anything else that I have done. Faith is that which looks away from itself to Jesus Christ and rests and relies upon Him wholeheartedly. Uh, The story is told of the 19th century tightrope walker Charles Blondin. Uh, In the mid-19th century, he performed uh, the amazing feat of walking on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. Okay, kind of gives me the chills just to think about something like that, okay? He would do all sorts of things on this rope. It was said that he would do backwards somersaults on this tightrope. Uh, then he would walk across it blindfolded. Uh, he walked across this rope while pushing a wheelbarrow. He even did it on stilts. One time, uh, he stopped halfway across and cooked an omelet on a portable stove. But one day, apparently, he turned to the crowd and he asked the crowd who was all gathered, they, he asked them this question and he said, Do you believe that I can carry someone across the rope on my back? Well, of course, the crowd, having seen everything else that this man did, resoundingly said, yes, I believe. To which Blondin said, do I have a volunteer? Okay? Well, I can tell you that I had been present on that day. I would not have been one of those who would have volunteered to ride on his back. For however amazing Charles Blondin was in those feats, he could have misstepped and brought whoever was on his back to a terrible death below. But dear friends, how illustrative this is of the life of faith. Because we have a Savior who did not and who will not and who cannot misstep. And the question of faith is this, not only do I believe that Jesus is able to save, but have I been willing to put my faith and my trust in Him? Have I attached myself to Jesus Christ by faith where I say, He is able to carry me across this life, across that river of death, into life eternal? That's what faith is. And friends, that is the faith which saves. That's what it means to live the Christian life. It is to trust our living Savior in this way, to put all of our hope, all of our reliance upon Him for salvation. And so the blessings of salvation, dear friends, are those blessings that are secured by faith alone. But a second thing that we see here is that saving faith, this saving faith, secures our hope for the future. What a beautiful phrase we have in verse 5. It says, 
For through the Spirit, by faith, not by our own works, but by faith we do what? We ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. What's this talking about? Well, it's talking about that final day when Jesus Christ returns. And on that day, he is saying, we can have the hope, which means the certainty, the guarantee, the security that on that day, Christ and all of his righteousness are going to be mine. And how can I know this? Well, it's because if I am in Christ Jesus, they are mine now. And what will happen on that final day is they are, in the words of our shorter catechism, there is going to be an acknowledge, there's going to be an open acknowledgement and acquittal that will occur when on that great and glorious day our Savior appears as a judge from heaven. And he is going to say on that final day that I belong to him. My sins are covered in the blood of Christ. My salvation is secure. I can enter in to that place of glory. Friends, we have that sure and certain expectation if you are in Christ. You see, if you are relying on your works, you have no certainty at all. This is why Roman Catholicism as a system doesn't produce assurance of faith. Because people never know how they're going to respond in the future. They're uncertain if their works are going to be enough, if they're still going to have faith. But, dear friends, the Bible teaches a sure and a certain assurance for those that belong to Jesus Christ. We can know that if he is my Savior in this life, he will be my Savior on that day of judgment because it depends not on what I have done, but on what he has done. And that's what he means here. We live, we wait for the hope of righteousness. Dear friends, are you one who is eagerly waiting for that hope of righteousness? Are you living with the sure and the certain expectation that he will be your savior, not in this life only, but for all eternity? And does that hope inspire you as you live for him day by day? So saving faith secures hope for the future, but then lastly, saving faith issues in a life of love. Saving faith issues in a life of love. We see this at the end of verse 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. It is not what you have done, dear friends, but rather what counts, only faith working through love. Now, you have to understand what this is saying. This is not saying that we are saved by faith and love. Faith alone saves Faith is that in which we look outside of ourselves to Jesus Christ. But the point of this passage, as it is in all of Scripture, is that the faith which alone saves us is never alone, but rather works itself out in a life of love. What is the mark of those who are looking not to themselves, but to Jesus Christ? It is that we will live then a life of love. How could we not? After by faith, embracing the Savior who has so loved us, how can we then nod in response, so love Him back and seek to love others? Isn't that the 
the two greatest commandments, that we shall love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, that we shall love our neighbor as ourselves. So do you see, in the book of Galatians, and we're going to be making this point many times in the weeks that lie ahead, when the book of Galatians says time and again that we are saved not as a result of our works, but by faith alone, it doesn't throw the idea of a Christian ethic or a Christian life or even works themselves out the window entirely, but rather it puts those in the proper context. And it says, our works are not those things which we do to secure the favor of God. But having received the favor of God because of his free grace in Jesus Christ, works are those things which we then do, filled with the Holy Spirit, we do out of thankfulness and gratitude to God. It's the way that our faith is expressed in everyday life, are by works of love. And might we show ourselves that we are truly Christ, no longer under the yoke of slavery of what we have attained or what we have accomplished or what we haven't, measuring ourselves continually by those, sometimes feeling puffed up and many times feeling depressed. But rather, might we continually look to Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, experiencing the freedom of life in Him, And then out of that freedom, having the freedom to love him and to love others with a full heart. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this glorious gospel of freedom. And Lord, we pray now for the help of your spirit that we would see ways, Lord, in which we, like the Galatians, are tempted back to a life of slavery, having been set free. And, O Lord, our God, we pray that we would resist those things, that we would stand firm not submitting again to a yoke of slavery, but standing firm in the freedom with which Christ has set us free. Living lives of faith in the Savior. And living then lives that are full of hope and full of love because Jesus is ours. Oh Lord, help us, we pray. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.